0: gospel is not the gospel. The American gospel is a works-based system like every other false and perverse religion on the planet. Being in New Covenant relationship with God has nothing to do with God bringing your dreams to fruition, making your marriage work, giving you the picture-perfect family, or somehow contributing to a meaningful career as American culture likes to define it. Being a political, fiscal, or social conservative does not make you a Christian. Having some of the same values that Christianity has does not make you a Christian. Going to church every Sunday and giving your time and money to the church does nothing to make you a Christian. Getting baptized and joining the church does nothing to make you a Christian. Political activism cannot make you acceptable in the eyes of God. Standing up for the oppressed and demanding racial equality will not help you when you stand before a holy God environmentalism is powerless to save you from the wrath of God that you are storing up for yourself because of your obstinate and sinful heart. Saving babies, helping immigrants, caring for widows, and standing up for the orphans will do nothing to make you right in the eyes of God. Only faith in the saving work of Christ can save you from the wrath of God that is coming on this earth to inflict justice, vengeance, and punishment on all of those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ with their entire being. Repent and believe the gospel. So this raises the question, what is the gospel? God created you to be like Him, and you are refusing to do just that. This places you under the wrath of God. You cannot remove God's wrath on your own. You love your sin. God sent Christ to die for sin. Christ was crucified, buried, and rose on the third day for the forgiveness of sins. Only faith in this finished work of Christ can save you from the wrath of God. I say it again. Repent and believe the gospel. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. to the Reformed Rant. Today is October 5th, and we are going to break things up a little bit today, change these things up on the podcast. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on news before I get to the main subject of today's rant, which is a continuation of an introduction to Arminianism, uh, which we're walking through our series on Arminianism. But before I do that, I want to run through some of the craziness, this craziness that's going on uh in um let's say american christian culture for lack of a better term um in the world today here uh, in this wonderful place we call uh america the uh first thing i want to talk about is the incident over in texas with amber geiger who was the female police officer uh, who had shot an intruder she went into the wrong apartment not going to go into all the details the, the bottom line is she was convicted of murder and sentenced to I believe 10 years in prison and uh, as it turns out the the judge over there um, gave her a hug gave her a Bible which just absolutely sent atheists off the cliff they're going bonkers uh, in protest over the fact that a judge would give someone a Bible it's it's a sheer tyranny folks i mean absolute tyranny uh, that's going on in our culture right now a judge is is, handing a person a bible is causing uproar um, among certain people in our country it's wild Um, outside of that we also have some christians who profess professing christians Uh, who have an issue with this, and I'm going to pick on Jamar Tisby because I know that there are people, even in my own church, who have positive things, glowing things to say about Jamar Tisby. Uh, I have none, by the way. Nothing positive or glowing to say about Mr. Tisby, not even a little bit. And that's just based not on him as a person. It's based on uh, some of his writings, some of his works, his book, um, and the articles that he uh, writes, in the focus, his focus. He says this uh, on Twitter. No one should mistake black forgiveness whenever and if ever it is offered for complacency with racial injustice. No one should assume a public act of mercy on the part of one black person eclipses the demands for change from an entire community. So, uh, Tisby continues with the identity politics, the Marxist-based ideology uh, that places people into groups and then proceeds to indict entire groups of people based on uh, historical behaviors of people who might be in that same group. Everybody gets to uh, be indicted and Charged. Now, what is Tisby talking about here? He's talking about the fact that the the man that Amber Geiger shot and killed, uh, his brother came up to Amber after the conviction and asked the judge if he could hug her, right? So Tisby is essentially concerned that an act of what appears to be genuine Christian forgiveness is actually going to weaken his racist crusade, a crusade that is 100% interested in making sure there is an atmosphere of hostility between black people and white people. And the reason for this, you see, is because that hostility has to continue in order to energize and mobilize people in the liberal white community and black community to uh, engage in um, this deconstruction. And we'll come back around to this in a couple of minutes because Kyle J. Howard is saying the very same things that Tisby is saying. So as a Christian, speaking purely as a Christian, not as an American, not as someone living in a republic, but as a Christian, Jesus said this about forgiveness. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart one of the greatest evidences that a person's claim to christ is false and that their faith is not genuine is the presence of true unforgiveness in their behavior and in their heart There is nothing more unlike God than being unforgiving. On another news item that came up this week, I'm just going to mention it one more time. This is what happens when a culture decides to not only decouple itself from God, uh, but in this case, American culture, which is decoupling itself from the principles of, that it was founded upon, principles that are taken, for the most part, from the Christian worldview. These principles are being deconstructed and erased, eradicated, purged from American culture. And as a result, this is impacting how Americans think about issues. And on that note, this is even moving into the seminaries, which, of course, our seminaries do, do little more than mimic the world anyhow and have for decades. Union Seminary, particularly, I think, in New York, um, had students come together and apologize to plants. Can you imagine going outside in your yard and apologizing to your tree or to your shrubs or your flowers or even weeds or your grass? I should apologize to my lawn for not mowing it often enough. That is so unloving of me. This is insanity. This is what happens when a nation abandons principles that are derived from Christianity. I'm not saying America was a Christian nation. America never been a Christian nation. There's never been such a thing as a Christian nation. Outside of the ancient theocracy in the Old Testament known as Israel, and we, have, uh, we understand that Israel Uh, Its existence and its history was given to us for other reasons, other purposes God was doing something very specific uh, in the history of the nation of Israel Something that many of us forget Uh, On another news item, Kyle J. Howard uh, tweeted out a story Where he said he was driving by, uh, I guess Atlanta, which is where he's from Uh, And he saw a a police officer pointing a gun at a black man. And the implication is that he stopped. Uh, He didn't give any more details than that. But the implication is that somehow he got involved because... um, when he sent this tweet out, he was talking about he was still shaking, adrenaline was rushing. So that would imply that maybe he actually got out and, and did something. I guess one of the questions that I would ask for a guy like Kyle J. Howard is, uh, you know, hey Kyle, if, if the officer was pointing a gun at a white guy, would you have still stopped your car? Would you have tweeted about this? Would you have even talked about it? I'm, I'm curious. continuing on with Kyle J. Howard, I just saw a tweet come in this morning uh, regarding something that he said, and here it is. He says this, if the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, wants to survive the judgment of God, wow, (laughs) if the SBC wants to survive the judgment of God, conferences are not enough. All systems of power must be laid on the table, dismantled, and restructured from the ground up. He says, such an act would require a miracle because power has a serene call and is hard to give up. Well, yeah, power is not an easy thing to give up, but what do you think Kyle J. Howard is after with this assertion that everything has to be laid on the table and dismantled? What do you think he's after? He's after the same thing that the racial reconciliation crowd's after, power, money. Wealth redistribution. Equality no matter what. You're not rewarded based on your contributions, your individual contributions. You are just equal no matter what. This is where these guys are going. It's what they're after. It's what it's what Jamar Tisby's after when he continues to stir the pot of racism that he does. He is... Uh, according to Romans chapter 16, continuing to stir up division in the body of Christ. And there are thousands of good, solid pastors who know that this is what Tisby's doing. They know that this is what Kyle J. Howard is doing. They know that this is what Jarvis Williams and Brad Mason and all these other guys are doing. But they don't say anything about it. They leave their people flapping in the breeze rather than stand up and point out the sin that's going on in the culture and in this case, inside our own churches. And they let it happen. Now, let me just say one more thing about Kyle J. Howard's tweet if the SBC wants to survive the judgment of God. God is not going to judge the SBC. You see, the SBC isn't a person. It is not a human being it's not it does not have a uh, a conscience you see god judges people who are created in his image he doesn't judge organizations this is kind of like a hangover of uh, a hermeneutical hangover that was bad from the very beginning that likes to look at the nation of israel and and transfer all of that Uh, activity and relationship between God and Israel and Israel's rebellion and God's judgment against Israel. And they bring it over into the New Testament and then they start talking about how God's going to judge America or God's going to judge this country or now God's going to judge the SBC. God judges people. Okay? That's what God judges. Israel did not exist so that we could use those stories in this fashion. This is utterly ridiculous. More people should be standing up and pointing out this egregious hermeneutic that really also serves as the basis for the social justice gospel. If you take this away from them, they are absolutely lost. They're like a boat in, in a river without an oar. All right, let's turn our attention quickly to Beth Moore. Uh, Beth Moore stands up at the ERLC conference this last week and says, basically says that a biblical view, complementarianism, Okay, Uh, and I'll break this down quickly. A biblical view on gender roles has contributed heavily to the abuse of women in the church. What did she actually say? She actually said complementarianism has contributed heavily to the abuse of women in the church. Now, if complementarianism is the biblical view, and I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is the biblical view, then Beth Moore is basically saying that the teachings of the Bible have contributed heavily Heavily to the abuse of women in in the church not the misunderstood or perverted teachings of the Bible or very sinful interpretations Of the Bible have have been used or that the Bible has been misused To abuse women in the church. That's not what she said Okay, and this is because Beth Moore is really First of all, she's a female She should not be standing up speaking at any conference as a leader in any way shape or form on any subject Second of all, she's incompetent top to bottom. She is truly, truly incompetent. Third, she's a heretic, an outright heretic and associates with heretics. Why she even has a place to stand these days can only be chalked up to soft girly men who don't have any guts to put Beth Moore in her place. And I'm sorry, I got news for you. I have zero respect for a man who does not have the guts to stand up and be a man and act like a man and put Beth Moore in her place. And the same thing goes for Jen Wilkin, who is also on a crusade trying to convince women that God has given them the gift of teaching mentioned in the New Testament so that they can serve as teachers in the body of Christ. This is new, folks. This is not historic Christianity right? But Jen Wilkin is on her crusade. And once again, we have pastors who are continuing to prop this up by allowing Jen Wilkin to be viewed in a positive light, by not removing her materials, by actually allowing people to use her materials to teach in the church. You're going to roll out of bed one day and you're going to look back at what has happened with the women in your church who think that they're in control of their husbands and all of a sudden, you're going to have a female-run church, and you will not be able to do anything about it because the women have not been trained on what their proper role and position is in the church, and the men are wilting like sissies and allowing the women to control everything. And now the pastors won't be able to even turn the ship around because you got to have men to do that, boys. And what you're creating are sissies, not men and the women are going to run things. Go all the way back to the garden. Eve's desire was what? To control her man. We are living in the age of Eve right now, even in evangelicalism, and somebody needs to stand up and do something about this. Thank God for men like John MacArthur. I don't agree with MacArthur on every single point that he makes. But I got to say, I look across the landscape, and if there's one man that I can point to to say, this guy in his ministry and his close associates, Phil Johnson and those guys, this is a group of men who, from what I can see, absolutely, truly care about the church. They care about the truth. They love God. They care about the gospel of Christ. And they they're taking a stand across the board i wish god would give us more men like that all right now let's shift gears and get to this conversation on arminianism so i'm probably going to take another 30 or 40 minutes to lay some groundwork around the history of what's going on from calvin to calvin's followers to Armini jacobus arminius himself who was trained by theodore beza uh, and probably some of the things that Arminius was coming into contact with, some of the things he was hearing, some of the things he was reading, that gave him a little bit of cause for concern and led to this, uh, this controversy between uh, Calvinism and Arminianism. And so again, the purpose here of this uh, series on Arminianism isn't a critical analysis. I'm going to save that for a a series of podcasts after we're done. What I'm trying to do is simply throw out some truth, some facts, historical facts around Arminianism, ancient Arminianism, as it first got started, what it actually claimed, right? So that people can just understand what ancient Arminianism is. And then I'll talk a little bit about how arminianism certain arminians certain people in this camp have uh, kind of changed uh some of these views uh, and modified it because as as is the case with calvinism the further you get away from the the origin uh, of arminianism the the first sources The more versions and modifications and degrees of change that you see taking place over the centuries, and that's true. It's true with Calvinism. It's true with Arminianism. All right. So let's turn our attention back to um, the 16th century, and then as we come into the 17th century, uh, and talk about uh, historic Arminianism. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk this through talk, what is this, Arminianism. We're going to turn our attention to conditional election soon enough here in this podcast, but in this particular rant, episode, whatever you want to call it, I want to talk about um, the historical background first. And I think part of the issue has to do with uh, the subject of superlapsarianism versus infralapsarianism. I'm not going to get into the order of the decrees. We're not going there, but I am going to say that the concerns arose after John Calvin with his earliest followers, uh, to include Peter Vermigli, Theodore Beza, and Jerome Zanke. Right now, if you look at Calvin, Calvin places the doctrine of predestination under the heading of soteriology. And Calvin retains a very robust appreciation for the mystery of God's will, okay? Peter Vermigli, on the other hand, takes a more, I hate to use the term, more rigorous. He he presses these issues out to their logical, either their logical conclusions or even logical extremes, some might say. Um, Extremes, to me, kind of sounds a little... Too much, so I'm just going to say that he pushes these pushes pushes these issues out logically as far as he can. Uh, doesn't really, uh, is not very fond of mystery, um, at least where it's relating to to this issue. So he moves from the clearer points of theology, and methodically deduces other truths from Calvin's theology. Theology deductively moving from, say, the mountain to the boulder to the rock and perhaps even to the pebble. Later Calvinists uh, would go even further and take us all the way down to the grains of sand to the point that if you're lacking just one of the same grains of sand that's in their system then your conversion might rightly be questioned even. It's utterly ridiculous where some people take this. So it was this method of deduction and a strong desire to to uh, leave as little as possible uh, to mystery in the divine will that led to the controversy between the infralapsarians and the supralapsarians. Uh, to this day, if you think about just your own desire to know, there seems to be a, con- a contempt for those who prefer to leave things to mystery. I know that when I talk to atheists, I encounter this all the time. I mean, the minute you say mystery uh, it's almost like y- you know you've you've run out of answers well we you will run out of answers i can promise you that as a finite human being we no human being or hu- the human race collectively does not have all the answers that is a fact okay so we have to get comfortable with not having all the answers we do have some answers we do have some answers clearly we have some answers not as clear, less clear, and even less clear. And in some cases, we just don't have the answers at all. So when God says in Deuteronomy 29 29 that the secret things belong to the Lord, he meant it. He God chose to reveal what he chose to reveal. And he deliberately chose not to reveal everything. Now he's God. We say that God has a good reason for everything he does. This means that God has a good reason for not revealing everything to us. I think it's in our own best interest to appreciate that and respect God's decision not to reveal everything to us because God knows best and we don't. Leave it at that. When I was a child, my parents would hide gifts until the time came uh, to bring them out and place them under the tree give them to us, birthdays, things like this. And if we are caught looking, even looking for these gifts, we, we would get in trouble, right? So I, I think it's better for us not to go looking for answers that God has deliberately not revealed. I think that's uh, a safe practice, a best practice, right? Okay, now... We see this kind of behavior taking place early on in Calvin's earliest followers and it tended towards some views that were pretty disturbing. Uh, even, Even today, these views, I find them to be somewhat disturbing. For example, the notion that God decreed to damn human beings before he decreed to permit or authorize the fall seems to make the fall a secondary thought and has God damning men without justification. And the only reason the fall came about was so that God could justify damning men. Well, <laughs> it's kind of backwards. Uh, so Arminius is watching this. He's he's thinking of it. He's not an he's a sharp guy. I mean, all of these people f- f- from this era, uh, their intellectual capacity uh, was incredible. They were extremely gifted, uh, more so than a lot of us today. Um, in fact Probably most of us today couldn't even come close to matching wits with somebody like Jacob Arminius or John Calvin. All right, so this is very likely the catalyst that moved Arminius to give this issue as much energy as he did and eventually led to his rejection of the reformed formulation of the doctrine of predestination. And you have to remember that the superlapsarian view, I don't know that it started with Beza. It could have, uh, I haven't really looked beyond that. I do know for a fact that Beza held that position. Um, Calvin left a lot of those uh, issues, but let's say, untied. He didn't tie them up, he didn't tidy them up. <laughs> And so it's possible that Beza is the is the first one and Vermigli uh, to push to this this particular position. Uh, at any rate, it, it was disturbing for Arminius. Okay, so this this first of all should give us cause for concern, and should result in a greater degree of humility on our part when talking about historic Arminianism, and especially when talking about Arminius himself. Uh, There are some serious problems with Arminius's theology, um, but this is not uh, the intent of the series of podcasts. We'll come back to that when we do a a more critical analysis of where some of his views actually end up. The only real moral quibble I can find regarding Arminius that would raise serious question was the manner in which he gained professorship at uh, Leiden. He it. It's puzzling how he could have could not have seen the the gulf that existed between his views and those expressed in the Belgic Confession and the Heidelberg Catechism views that he had to affirm in order to get that job. All right. So you, you got. You have to affirm that you believe these things. And uh, there was also some orchestration going on around getting Arminius. Uh, into position there, uh, so that he was not really uh, asked or cross-examined the way that he uh, probably should have been. So it, it, it was almost a rubber stamp kind of situation, and he slid in under the under the radar, um, almost. Personally, I think there's a remarkable difference between Arminius's rejection of reformed theology and modern. Arminians' rejection of it, but that's beyond the scope of of this rant. I will, uh, again, come back to that. Now, the three men that carried the torch for Arminius, the the torch that Arminius had had fired, uh, was Vorstius, uh, Episcopius, and uh, Hugo Grotius. Um, The Arminian party drafted a document that is known as the Five Articles, and asked the Dutch governor to use his power to secure toleration for their beliefs. All right. Um, now, it should be mentioned that this was not just purely a theological controversy, okay? Uh, there was a political controversy. Uh, in question as well between the reformed uh, party and the Armenian party the remonstrance the protesters the Re- the Arminian party believed in a state-run church thinking that civil authorities had the right to make appointments in the churches this is a common historical fact in, in church history uh, and it's a It is not without significant issue, even for today. the The views, those battles and views, still uh, carry uh, weight today and create issues in the church today because of differences on this subject. The reform position, on the other hand, was that the churches uh, that the church was independent of state control. Now, as you might imagine. Most magistrates sided with the Arminians. Most clergy uh, would side with the Reformed. So the controversy was as intensely political as it was theological. So now you're not just going to have this be a, a theological debate, you're going to have politics involved, government involved, authorities involved. All right? And when that happens, bad things happen. So the controversy actually did lead to bloodshed, a far cry from anything remotely resembling New Testament Christianity. So let that sink in, all right? And it, it, this is really a fight on both sides, but probably the reformed folks were more responsible for the bloodshed than the Armenians, even though the Armenians were, were not uh, pure as the driven snow either. <clears throat> so the Armenian party believed that the provincial governments had the right, even to outlaw controversial preaching. Think about that for today, and the potential of, of uh, certain types of preaching being outlawed. For leading uh, Armenian uh, Grotius, the only guarantee of social harmony in the republic was a broad-based church, where all viewpoints were tolerated, as long as the Trinity was acknowledged. And the Christian magistrates silenced troublemaking preachers. That was Grotius' view. Now, you know, you compare that to today, and we don't want to silence any preachers. Now, it shouldn't be the duty of the government to silence preachers, uh, but it the church should silence preachers and we don't. And that's a really big issue. So, you know, let's take an issue today. Say someone like a Beth Moore preaching and teaching men. Jen Wilkin doing the same thing. Arguing that women have been given the gift of teaching, talked about in the New Testament, endowed as teachers in the body of Christ and should be used as teachers in the body of Christ. Uh, These kinds of people would have been silenced in this particular era. They should be silenced today by the church. They should be sat down and shut up. Simple. This is the teaching of the New Testament with regard to the role of women in the body of Christ in the activities of teaching, training, and leading in the church. All right, women, I don't want to get off on a a tangent, but women are... Older women are to train younger women how to be good wives and mothers, supporting their husbands, managing the household at home. That's the the teaching of the Apostle Paul, which comes directly from God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's continue. Now, by 1617, the internal religious and political conflicts Uh, between prince maurice of nassau who would fall on the reform side of things and the governor olden barnevelt were beginning to take the dutch tear the dutch republic apart so this is turning into a really big issue in fact many christians left the churches because the republic had made it impossible to hear the sort of preaching they wanted they met in houses, barns, even out in the open air. Uh, but then, of course, the government would get wind of this and confiscate those those meeting places. So, you know, th- those of us who are reformed, we kind of joke around and say, "Imagine having to sit under Arminian preaching and how awful that would be if we didn't have a choice, right?" So, thank God for reformed pastors who will stand up and preach the the gospel. Um, and, and interpret the scripture in line with Reformed theology because it is that expression of Christianity that I think is the most close to what the Bible teaches. So that said, as you think about this situation, it's always been a bad idea for the church to use the civil authority to carry out its program, right? Or any of its affairs in any way. It's a bad idea. Because of this practice, dating all the way back to the fourth century, right, Constantine, the church has committed numerous atrocities over the centuries, or the visible church has done this, right, and it has given us a black eye. I talk to atheists who will criticize the church because of the inquisitions, and it's, well, you know that's not the church, but they don't want to hear that. It just creates. Uh, needless obstacles, I think, in those conversations, things that that are just distractions. This has had a devastating impact on the prophetic voice of the church in whatever culture it exists. It adopts a wrong-headed understanding of the mission of the church, which is not to set up a society that lives by Christian principles even though it doesn't embrace Christ. That isn't accomplishing anything. It is the power of the gospel that saves. And at the end of the day, judgment's coming. That is the day of the Lord. And all that matters on the day of the Lord is are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? Have you embraced Christ by grace through faith or have you rejected Christ? Nothing else matters. You can, you'll be able to stand before God and say, I didn't swear, I didn't lie, I didn't cheat, I didn't steal, I didn't do any of... These things, but I also did not embrace Christ. Well, go to hell then, and that's where you're going to end up. Didn't you? You worked against abortion. You worked for the widow. You worked for the orphan. You worked for the immigrant. You you worked for social justice. You worked for the environment. You worked for good political causes. Uh, you visited third world countries and 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 helped out where you could, where your gifts and talents were used to benefit others, go to hell. Real simple. Go to hell. You did not embrace Christ, you're lost. You will spend eternity damned. Okay? So this is <coughs> pardon me. This is an issue <coughs> that has is distracting the body of Christ. But it's not the mission of the church to shape the culture. So after the controversy and the ensuing bloodshed and a decisive victory for the Reform Party, the new leader, Maurice, Prince Maurice, remember him, moved to resolve the religious issue at hand. Okay, So the, the political disagreement was resolved. There was bloodshed. People died. People were imprisoned. Um, <clears throat> now it's time to turn our attention to the... Religious issue, the theological issue, okay? This move is historically known as the Synod of Dort. This conference lasted from November 13th, 1618, to May 29th, 1619. There were 56 ministers, 5 professors, and then 18 political commissioners who were observers uh, charged with reporting back to the civil authority. The five articles that had been previously uh, uh, composed by the Remonstrants, the protesters, were reviewed and soundly rejected by the Synod. Arminianism, therefore, stood officially condemned by the Synod of Dort. Okay. Now, this is not a universal Synod. All right, this is the Dutch Reformed Church meeting and condemning Arminianism. This isn't the universal church. This isn't lotty Doti everybody. This is not a universal council of the church. So you, we have to keep that in mind. I heard someone on a program uh, talking about this the other day, and they said that this was like global, um, and it really wasn't. Okay, the Senate of Dort condemned Arminianism. Uh, <clears throat> if you were to say the church condemned Arminianism, you would be uh, m- making an inaccurate statement. That is not true. Not at the Senate of Dort anyhow. Okay, so the church may stand in condemnation of Arminianism given the views of the church and the teachings of Ar- Arminianism but we can't point to a particular uh, universal decree that went out like an ecumenical council from the church decrying Arminianism and condemning it. Now that said, the Senate of Dort is a very uh, weighty and powerful statement and has been embraced by uh, the Reformed Church uh, from day one. So from that standpoint, you can say, well, you know, the Reformed arm of the church which is the most biblical, the most biblically accurate expression of Christianity, stands uh, in condemnation of uh, the Armenian system. You could say that. So let's turn our attention to the the five articles. The very first article uh, that was uh, composed, Article Number One of Five. And if you, if you want to read more about this and really get into the details, probably Philip Chaff's uh, The Creed of Christendom with a History and Critical Notes, The Evangelical Protestant Creeds uh, with Translations, uh, published in New York by Harper and Brothers in 1882, uh, it's in Volume 3. You can find that. You could look uh, at the Documents of the Christian Church, by uh, edited by Henry Bettinson and Chris Maunder, fourth edition, uh, put out by Oxford. And then there's others that I'm not going to get into, but I have a few resources that in my library that I use for things like this. Uh, in this case, I'm using uh, Philip Schaff's book, so that's the that's where the language is coming from. I also have the works of Arminius himself, so if I want to pull out Arminius's own beliefs in his own words, I can do that and I think that's critically important for anyone who's studying this subject, go to the source. All right, so here's the first decree or decree, the first uh, article, which is titled Conditional Election that god by an eternal unchangeable purpose in jesus christ his son before the foundation of the world hath determined out of the fall or out of the fallen sinful race of men to save in christ for christ's sake and through christ those who through the grace of the holy ghost shall believe on this his Son, Jesus, and shall persevere in this faith and obedience of faith, through this grace even to the end, and on the other hand, to leave the incorrigible and unbelieving in sin and under wrath, and to condemn them as alien from Christ, according to the word of the gospel in John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him, and according to other passages of Scripture also. End quote. So that's the first um, article that was presented to the, the Synod of Dort, the first of the five these are all in one document so it's not like they were firing these off one at a time but this is the very first one and it is it is all about conditional election as a reminder now i am not offering up a critique of arminianism at this time i'm far more interested in observing and understanding the claims made by the arminian system of theology than i am in offering up a critical analysis of it at at this point okay so we want to start with the five articles. So when we look at this first uh, article, we see that God's decree is eternal and unchangeable, and that's good, okay? That is a very good thing, that's orthodox. God decreed to save in Christ for Christ's sake and through Christ, okay? That's also orthodox, but there's a controversy around that the prepositional phrase in Christ and, and I'll come to that in a few seconds or minutes. The third thing we see is that God decreed to save only those who shall believe on his son and who shall and big conjunction and who shall persevere in faith and obedience to the end. Okay. Number four, God decreed to extend grace through the Holy Spirit. So there you have the first four big, this is what God's doing. His decree is eternal and changeable. He decreed to save in Christ, for Christ, through Christ. He decreed to save only those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and who persevere to the very end. And he decreed to extend grace through the work of the Holy Spirit. Those are the four. Number five. He decreed to leave the incorrigible and unbelieving in sin and under wrath okay now this first article clearly makes god's election of men to salvation in christ conditional on the acts of men they must men must positively respond to the gospel And not only that, they must endure to the end. This makes God's election conditioned on man's actions. All right, that is the first uh, article of the remonstrance presented at the Synod of Dort in 1618. Scripture for this position, there's a couple of scriptures that are... um, So these two scriptures, if these two scriptures do not teach what the Arminians claim, they teach about conditional election, there's a real problem. And again, we'll come back to that at another time. But here are the scriptures. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus galatia cappadocia asia bithynia who are chosen according to according to the foreknowledge of god the father by the sanctifying work of the spirit to obey jesus christ and be sprinkled with his blood may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure okay arminianism asserts that this text conditions god's Election, Conditions election on God's foreknowledge of how human beings will respond to the gospel. God looks down through time, sees if Bill is going to respond positively to the gospel. If he does, then God elects him. That's the idea. Ephesians 1.4 says this. This is another text that's used just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Okay? Now, supposedly the Greek prepositional phrase here, which is in alto, makes God's choosing us conditional on us being in Christ. So in other words... God only elects those who use, exercise their free will to positively respond to the gospel. So, God elects everybody who willingly places themselves in Christ. It isn't that God elects and that we are placed in Christ because God elected us from the beginning. And placed us in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not how it works in the Arminian system. It is the the exercise of free will to respond positively positively to the preaching of the gospel uh, that places us in Christ. And it is those people that are elect. Now, one more one more remember one more caveat is that it isn't that they are elect. They are elect only if they've done all of that and they endure to the end. If God sees that they're going to fall away, then they're not one of the elect. It's only those that God sees who will endure to the end in Christ. That are elect. Everybody else? No. So that is the first article. Now I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna. This is not a theological lecture. This is a rant. This is uh, an internet rant uh, where we, uh, I'm just trying to help people understand what Arminianism actually, at least from the very beginning, started off teaching. Okay. Now, now you know to say to to get to modern Arminianism and what it teaches. Uh, it teaches a lot of things. There isn't. There's hardly just one view. There are some big common threads that exist in Ar- Arminianism that we'll come come to later. Uh, but we have to sit at a high level because the, the last thing I want to do is have people say, I'm Arminian and I don't believe that. right? So there are some things that all Arminians would share, would hold in common, and other things not so much and they could still be Arminians, right? So it's kind of like, even though I reject this, uh, someone someone who wants to debate Calvinism with me asked me if I was a five point Calvinism and my response was logically speaking, there is no, there is no such thing as a uh, anything else other than a five point Calvinist. If you're less than a five pointer, then you're not a Calvinist, historically speaking. This is my position. Uh, And I sympathize a great deal with people who say, who think we probably shouldn't use the term Calvinism. Uh, One of the biggest reasons for that is because of how men like Layton Flowers and um, others, Hunt, Dave Hunt and others, have skewed and uh, and and caricatured Calvinism. Uh, that people who don't know uh, what Calvinism actually teaches would would probably be exposed to those kind of uh, false uh, pictures and would think very bad things about anyone who says they're Calvinists and not based on reality, just based on the straw man that's set up by these guys on Calvinism. So I sympathize with that and I... I'm, I understand that and I used to be a, a more hard line about that but I, I think that that that's you know probably not a bad thing to back up and say, well you know wait, um, maybe we shouldn't refer to ourselves as Calvinists but in in my book uh, from my perspective when I say a Calvinist, uh, I'm pretty much referring to someone who embraces the response of the Senate of Dort to the five articles in rejecting those five articles and in affirming total depravity, unconditional election, limited uh, atonement, uh, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the believer. Uh, Unless you accept all of those as historically defined by the uh, reformed uh, documents in history, the confessions, the catechisms, uh, then I don't view you as a a Calvinist. I view you as someone who's not far from Calvinism, but not quite a Calvinist. Any At any rate, uh, that will bring us to the end of this first rant on conditional election. Four more articles to go. I'm probably going to devote, as, uh, if I can, I'm probably going to try and... Uh, have four more podcasts, one for each of the uh, five articles. And, And then we'll probably deal with some stuff that's going on in the culture, I'm sure. And then eventually come back around to how do we... How should a Christian think about the five articles of the Remonstrance, Arminianism, and these claims in the light of the revelation of Scripture? What does the Bible say? Uh, and as well, bringing to bear uh, just good, solid, basic uh, critical analysis using the using logic and and ask the question: uh, Do do these teachings contradict the Bible? Do they contradict uh, what we know to be true about God? All right, uh, listen. Thank you for listening. God bless. Again, if if you are not a uh, believer, um. God created you in his image, in his likeness. And you, uh, listening to this, are currently living a life of rebellion. You have lived a life of rebellion and there will be hell to pay. Uh, You are on a path that is headed to disaster. As As a creature of God, you are obligated to acknowledge God and to glorify him and worship him and to thank him with every ounce of your being, in every area of your life. Repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Embrace the Savior. Embrace Jesus as your Lord. Fall on your face before Him. Cast yourself on the mercy of God and tell the Lord to take your life and do whatever He pleases with it and embrace Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. God bless. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas. Bible You can run on, run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later gotta cut you down. And our leader gotta cut you down go tell that long-tongued liar go and tell that midnight rider tell the rambler the gambler the backbiter tell him that god's gonna cut him down tell him that god's gonna cut him down